1: The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
0: We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you!
1: People who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take
0: pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin
2: on the Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin. Here's the Pro-America Report. Thank you for listening. And uh, those of you that are watching on Periscope, great to be with you. Uh, The crowd is building. Thank you. I just saw Fern from Sedalia jump on. Hey, there's Noreen came on. Good to see everybody. Thank you for joining. All right. What you need to know today, what you need to know, it's the Pro-America Report. And what you need to know, it's a big one. It's a big one. Earlier in the week, I think I might be the first person in America to use regularly use and describe the second Cold War. You know, some people said, "Oh, you 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 shouldn't use a second Cold War against China. You're going too far. It's it's too much. It's a second Cold War." I did a radio show yesterday. They said you're a racist for calling the Chinese uh, what they're doing to us a Cold War. You're a racist. I said, "I'm not a racist. I'm describing." Well, today we have even more news to share. Here's what you need to know. This is. Is very, very important. You talk about the Pro-America Report. you got to understand, hey, the Amisha, that's pretty cool. Amisha's a big star, uh, a TV star just joined. Thank you for joining, Amisha. Very cool. And I'm a big fan of hers. And um, here's what you need to know. What you need to know is this. The Second Cold War... It's not like we woke up yesterday and said, oh, it's a Cold War because of the Wuhan virus. That's not what I'm talking about. And so let's march through what you need to know. How can we be in a second Cold War? And I'm going to point you, by the way, to a book, very famous book, that if you go back and read it, and if you go back and read it, uh, thank you, Amish, I appreciate it. If you go back and read this book, I'll refer to you from 1964, it will enlighten you on where we are. But here's, here's what you need to know. What you need to know right now is it's a second Cold War, but it's not because of the Wuhan virus that, you know, yesterday the numbers jumped by almost 2,000 dead. 2,000 dead in America. Today the numbers are 20 plus million unemployed. I mean, this is a major problem what's happening, but that's not the only thing. But there's a detail. There's a detail about it that I need to tell you about. And the detail is this. The Chinese government, it appears now, has had to concede uh, in some way. I don't know whether they've conceded it or we found it out uh, and were able to figure it out. But they've had to sort of admit that the Wuhan virus, the virus that came out of Wuhan, It was created. It was created in some way. Now, I I guess what that means, they're saying that their their admission now, or at least the way it's being described, is it wasn't created by the wet markets. The wet markets are these markets in China that have lots of animals and lots of uh, wildlife and lots of uh, killing of animals in front of people. And they tend to be places where that, that disease can spread. By the way, they're still open in China. They've opened them back up. They closed them for a bit, but they're open back up. And, and you know, you got to wonder if they really think it's a problem because they've got these uh, uh, wet wet markets wide open. But here's what you need to know. The news has broken. It's it, it seems definitive. It doesn't seem to be in question now. The reporting is that the virus leaked out of one of these biomedical labs in China. Okay, so you say, holy cow, it looks like it's a biomedical lab. It may have been a biowarfare lab, and, and somehow this virus got to an intern. The intern went off on uh, out into the community, and that's how it spread. Hi, Gwen. Thank you for joining. Gwen uh, just joined. Here's the problem with this. The Chinese have started to explain this and said it's an accident. It's an accident. So hold that thought. What you need to know today is this. After 25 years of Americans believing that it was going to work out to be trading partners and partners in a general sense with China. Where are we? Okay, where are we? Here's where we are. Second Cold War. Here's where we are. 25 years ago, they started to steal— our intellectual property china did everybody knows this everybody in business knows this everybody in technology knows this they know that they've been stealing our intellectual property 25 years ago up till today we also know that sometimes the chinese didn't steal it they did what they called tech transfer if you want to do business in their country you had to sign over the rights and it was a legal agreement and it was not illegal to put somebody uh in that position but they did it here's the problem our businesses were chasing the markets and cheap labor so profoundly that they went and signed over so They got our intellectual property by theft. They got our intellectual property by coercion of the markets. And here we are. What took the American community, America's ingenuity, 100 years to move from 1880 to 1980, or let's say 1880 to 2000, so 120 years. Incredible technology, incredible patents, incredible ingenuity. We did build it, and we should have been able to benefit from it. And for those reasons, we didn't. That's what China did. Along the way, China starts to do what they pay into international organizations like the World Health Organization is the best example right now, but also into trade organizations and into the U.N. And they exert their influence and they say, hey, we'll just be a good partner. Do you know that China became a most favored nation for trade under the World Trade Organization in December of 2001, George W. Bush signed on, and he allowed them in. And when they got in, do you know that they've been able to be most favored nation, which means that you, if you have a beef with them in trade, you have to go to the WTO, to the adjudication there. You can't sort of fight it out directly. And... They're allowed to call themselves a developing nation, so they've been able to say, "Oh, we're not actually developed; we're developing. We have a lot more," and they're able to get out of get out from under some of the requirements on in, on the environment. We know they cheat; we know they pour uh, toxins into the environment. They don't abide by the rules. Paris Climate Accord was an example. They were going to pay a little bit, we were going to pay the most, and they were going to want these agreements. So they went around the world; uh, China did, and they tied up international institutions in their favor. They also went around the world in the last five to 10 years, and they did this belt and road initiative where they went out and went to small countries and said, we'll give you money to build roads, but we'll own a piece of you. We'll be in your world. We'll take care. We'll have control. And it worked. You know, 5G is a high profile example that we hear a lot about, but that's that's a sm- That's a only one piece of this initiative that they had. So here's where we are. About 10 years ago, China begins to produce, and especially in the last five, fentanyl, They make it in China and they send it to America. We know this. And 50,000 Americans die every year from fentanyl. Think about this. 50,000 Americans are killed by a chemical substance made, 99% of it, in China and produced there and shipped to America because our immigration thing is so bad and they ship it into our country. Think about it. If I could say to you, you and I are rival countries and I said, I'm going to ship something in your country that's going to kill 50,000 of your people every year, as many people almost as Vietnam. What would you do? You'd say, well, it seems like you guys aren't being really nice and friendly. And when we call them on it, do you know what? They, well, I don't know if fentanyl, that's a good question for somebody. Fentanyl isn't five years old, but the dying in America is a five-year-old problem. You know, the question someone just asked in the comments, fentanyl has been around longer than that. The ability for China to make it cheaply and ship it into America. We've seen the uptick of the fentanyl deaths. I'd look up to look. it. Can, somebody can fact check me on it, but I think it's pretty close. But that's China. And, and when we call them on it in the last two years, three years, this president did. They say, oh, yeah, we'll look at We'll look at that. In China, the communists control the whole economy. They can identify by name the people who make the fentanyl. They know exactly who it is. If they wanted to stop it, they could. Because if they want to stop it, the Chinese stop the Gong and put them in camps. And, they, and by good reports, they organ harvest. If the Chinese want to, they put the Uyghurs in camps. They're Muslim and they want to re-educate them. Up to a million people, reportedly. In other words, the Chinese communists have control of their country. They just don't want to change. Now we get down to today and the Wuhan virus. And you say, oh, well, you mistreated us on intellectual property. You mistreated us on trade. You mistreated us on the, by the way, the the currency uh, fluctuation that they've done is a similar thing to damage our economy. It did all that. You mistreated us on world organizations. You mistreated us on fentanyl. You mistreated us. But we're supposed to think we're okay, right? We're supposed to think we're okay. And now you tell us on the Wuhan virus, trust us. It was an accident. Your economy is on its knees. Your people are unemployed, 20 million plus. You don't know how to get out of this box we're in. And oh yeah, we're sorry, it was an accident. At a certain point, what the communists always said was that the Americans, would what, would they, use, what they would use against us was our own inability to see what was happening. And in this case, our own inability to recognize the evil of the communists in China. It's not a disagreement. It's not something that can be really fine-tuned if we get a nice agreement out of, uh, you know, a new bilateral trade deal. That's not what we're facing. We're facing an enemy who has decided that the destruction of the rest of the world, especially America, who represents the world, is their goal. It's as clear you cannot say, oh, well, their intentions may be good. No, it doesn't matter. First of all, they state their intentions by being communists and everything that has to do with that godlessness, everything. But the fact is just judge them by their actions. And at this point, our country is on its knees because of their virus. But it's also a disadvantage because we refuse to recognize the problem and we have to stop that. Well, I'm going to run out of time, but I'll talk in a moment uh, to some of you about um, about this so later on on the on the Pro-America Report, the radio program. But let me just tell you, point you to a book. There was a famous book, 1964, None Dare Call It Treason by john stormer he just passed away a few years ago wonderful man was a pastor in a local church in st louis and it identified how the american people had fallen for the communists and especially the liberals in america had gone along with them very damaging very damaging that's what you need to know it is a second cold war the 20 million people unemployed that's on china and we better realize it all right we'll take a quick break and be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report be right back Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Our, our next guest is our old friend Ted Malik. Go to tedmalik.com to check out all his stuff, and I'll put up on social media what he's been up to. Uh, first of all, Ted, I've, you're over in London, of course, in England. I uh, hope you're doing well. And I, I mentioned, we mentioned off the air that they just announced uh, that the U.K., I guess Britain, will go two more weeks in the lockdown. Tell us what the announcement was.
0: I believe it's three more weeks, but uh, oh. the numbers are good. The curves are bent so-called R number has dropped to one, so it, look, it looks like they're you know, in an improving place. I could say for other European countries uh, that are slightly ahead of the U.K., um, I mean, there are some countries in Europe, uh, frankly, that didn't close down at all. We need to remember that. And there are others that have opened this week. The schools are back. The small shops are back. I mean, they're doing some distancing, but the economies are more or less coming back on stream
2: is um are people in America I can tell you ted, and we're talking with ted malik um uh, uh, the noted uh business writer as well as uh uh economist and an uh, author we've got we've talked about a bunch of his books on the air and, and uh but ted in America right now, I can tell you it feels like We've done our part, but we're getting ready to get going again. And I that doesn't mean everybody's going to get going, but you just can feel yeah. maybe maybe better than we've ever had in this country. We're all in the same spot, sort of. You know, everybody. Whether you talk to my friend, I talk to someone in L.A., I talk to someone in uh, in St. Louis. I talk to my brother up in Massachusetts. We're all in the same spot. We did what we were supposed to do. We believe in it. It's okay, but it's time to get going. And people really feel like they'll they'll take the risk a little bit here to get going. Is that is that feel like that in in uh, england
0: yeah i would say it's, it's generally the case and certainly as an american i'm i have my pulse and i talk to people you know in government in the white house you know in the academy uh certainly um in business every day, uh, I, I get the sense that, and I wrote an article this week in American Greatness on the, the great trade-off that Trump has to make. But uh, he's tipped his hand already. He's going to reopen the economy maybe as soon as the next few days. It will be a rolling reopen. It will probably vary by sector. It will vary by uh, you know region. Maybe some states will be I mean, some states in the Midwest have not suffered the same plight, so it'll be very different, but I think you'll see a rebound uh, out of the the, the present, uh, you know, doldrums here in the, in, in the next week, for sure, but the next two or three weeks. I'm not saying that everyone is going to go back to work immediately. I mean, that's probably not going to be the case. There is going to be a recession. The question is how long and how deep, and... Um, and that that's a, that's a severe economic question, and it's I think the one that's bearing on the on the president and and the people around him, you know, in in the present. I, you know, I know Mark Meadows and other people are thinking about this. Larry Kudlow and others in the economic team are thinking about this. So.
2: Uh, we 're talking with Ted Malcott, Ted, let me a- ask you about this. Um, your piece, which I, I link to on uh, social media, is on the great uh, the gateway pundits uh, site the dot com for a couple of days ago. I think it's really important i 've been talking about this, but you can do it even better it 's from about three days ago, maybe four days ago, and it mm-hmm. was about the notion that if you don 't know economics and don 't understand yeah. you 'll sit there and wait for sort of silver bullets and single answers. but in a multivariable world, you know there, you you, say, you use this phrase trade off and Balancing is another word. Tell Walk us through that. It's very simple, but it's very important to have somebody smart it is, explain it a like lot of, you do.
0: Uh, You know, a lot of economics around this. I think we've spent a lot of time listening to Dr. Fauci and his crew in the last three or four weeks. And um, these are very serious medical scientists. But there is other data besides the medical data. So the economic data has to be weighed. And, in fact, the economic data and models are much better than the medical data, which has been proven, you know, off by a magnitude of 10. In some cases, it's really been flawed models. So we see what's happened to the economy. We really do need to resuscitate that. And the president, any policy leader in any country, not just the U.S., has to make that so-called trade-off. We use that term in economics. It's basically a compromise. You say, where do these two things intersect? And um, you can measure it looking at the curves. But um, at a certain point in time, you have to say we have to begin to make this movement back, which I think is the place where we find ourselves presently.
2: Well, and Ted, again, Ted Malek's we're talking to, I mean, what people have to realize is also in a world where CNN and others, the media wants to uh, always ch- uh, sort of uh, highlight the, the cost or highlight the negative, we're going to all go back in some form. We're going to say, let's open up. It's not going to be the same, the new normal, but it's also going to be a risk, right? Some people are going to get sick. Some people are going to uh, even die. And we're going to say, yeah, but we can't live like, uh, you know, medieval age, me- medieval times. And I guess what your piece is so important on gatewaypundit.com is- Again, we're talking with Ted Malik, is we have to start remembering and condition ourselves to realize trade-offs mean cost and benefit and, and risk and and uh, benefit and play that out so that people aren't surprised when it's not going to be perfect. Right. This is a catastrophe. That's how no, it works.
0: No, 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 well, there have always been deaths. I mean, we're terminal beings. Uh, the seasonal flu has been. Basically, about as bad as the, as the COVID19, we live with it every year. There have been other episodes in American history, certainly world history, where pandemics have been much worse than what we 're suffering now. that 's not to say that the deaths and you know, all the costs and all, all of the, uh, uh, all of the medical uh, suffering is unreal it 's very real, very tangible, and we really need to be sympathetic and lend an ear of grace. And a hand of support to anyone who's in the, you know, the front line who has lost a family member who's gone through this. I mean, in the U.K., we had the prime minister of the country in the hospital, in the ICU, not on ventilation, but taking oxygen for uh, six or seven days. So no one is immune from this.
2: And I want to ask you about that. Uh, did, did Boris Johnson come out of that? He came out of it, thankfully, healthy. Did he come out of it, uh, I, I hate to say it, but he'd come out of it advantaged in terms of his political standing? Did people think to themselves, well, we can all go through it and he's a tough, tough cookie? Or how, how did it play uh, out?
0: I think so. There, There is great sympathy. I mean, he had just won an election in December with an overwhelming 80-seat majority, so there's a lot of favor on his part. He's basically told the European Union to stuff it when it comes to the Brexit uh, negotiations. So he's a tough character. I mean, people try to make him out to be corny or, you know, some kind of silly guy. He's actually a very smart dude. Um, And, yeah, I think there's going to be great sympathy for him for... For, for coming out of this with strength, he's actually still recuperating at Chequers, the prime minister's home, and he's not re entered the political scene. I would think that would happen probably in the next week.
2: All right, Ted. Now your uh, your background, of course, is in business and and world uh, economy. You know, you, you, from one of your books on Davos and others. How, how's I've been ranting and raving about China now and the communist regime there and what they've done. You know, if you take the last twenty five years and play it out now, you know, between the Wuhan virus, between the fentanyl plague, uh, between the, um, the 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 deceit over uh, tech and technology and and patents and all. At a certain point, it's much worse than just being an adversary. Have we have we moved dramatically? Has the world moved in its understanding of China or is it just is it just uh, America right now or is it maybe it's not even America? What's your sense?
0: No, I I do think that this is, you know, kind of a watershed event. Um, many of us, you know, I've been on the same case as you, have argued uh, about the Communist uh, Party in China, which runs the government and controls the economy with many state-owned enterprises, and which is very deceitful. Or, and worse, uh, what we have in this uh, in this situation is a is a you know a, a country and a, and a government that has lied, that has hidden facts, that has been deceitful, that has basically made the world suffer through what was created at the Wuhan Virology Laboratory. And I think as that becomes more and more apparent, you'll see a major reaction worldwide. And it will be more or less a bipartisan thing. So Republicans and Democrats both saying we have to step back from China. We have to treat them differently. We have to decouple our economy from theirs. We have to actually take seriously now these supply chains, and we have to move them out of China, and we're not going to deal with them in the same way that we have in the past. They are an aggressive, mercantilist power with a totalitarian government, and we should not be conned by them any longer.
2: Uh, Ted Malik, your, what are you working on next? So many of your pieces are post over at American Greatness and well, Greatness.com, yeah, thegatewaypundit.com. The uh, that was posted yesterday, yeah. uh, which is a huh. major long
0: piece and I know it's getting attention in the White House already because I've been talking, and it's called Infrastructure Next. My idea Uh here is that we issue Trump bonds to beat the corona pandemic and rebuild the country and its economy, and it can't be business as usual. When we do the next bill, the infrastructure bill, it can't be a Democrat giveaway. It has to be a private-oriented Uh, answer to America's infrastructure needs in the 21st century. This is a long piece, a big argument, and I hope people will engage with it.
2: I will. you know, I'm going to have you back on on this, Ted. I know we should have gotten to that, but I was interested in you helping us understand uh, benefits and risks and all because and I'll send you something offline about uh, Missouri, my old home state, where a number of of infrastructure jobs have paused. And I actually said to one of the folks that sent it to me, we ought to that ought to be where we go right away and say, okay, those are paused because the state uh, tax revenue dropped the gas tax here, as you say, the Trump bond. So we'll get back in touch. We'll have you back. Ted Malik dot com. He's very he's one of the best we have out there who's thinking ahead and uh, I'll put that piece up. We'll have you on again early, uh, quickly, so we can talk about this. So thank you, Ted. Great,
0: Ed. Good talking to you again.
2: Okay, we'll talk again soon. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be right back.
1: Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report.
2: On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is my old friend, Mickey Kaus. And Mickey Kaus, of course, is... Uh, well, he's a, a prolific Twitterer, and he also writes, And uh, but more importantly, he's one of the best uh, guys that I go to. I check his Twitter feed to track other people, and, and, and also, he, uh, he does a good job of uh, uh, hitting, he, he gets people and says, do you really mean that? And uh, his book, his famous book, is called The End of Equality. It's, uh, it's a, a public uh, basic book. You can find it, but also you can find the essay that was, it was based on, which is what I go and read every now and then to track up. Welcome, Mickey. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm okay. I'm in California. We're doing okay.
2: Well, now I gotta be, I gotta tease you a little bit, but you know, y- social distancing for you, y- you probably adjusted your schedule a little bit, right? I mean, you're a kind of writer thinker. You, I, I remember, I think I've talked to you a bunch on the phone. You're like in your apartment. Also are, is it making you crazy though?
1: Uh, it, it's, it's, well, I was crazy before, so it's getting it's making me a little more crazy. <laughs> I, I it, it, you know, I, I, I made the, the standard joke that there wasn't much of a change. Uh, before and after, right? Uh, it, it, right. It, uh, there, 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 there were a few things like going to the gym that I really miss. But uh, I have it pretty easy, uh, you know. Now, I- do
2: you? Do, do- yeah. Do you um? Do you what do you think of the whole? Um, I mean, lots of traffic, especially in your Twitter feed. You know, Coulter's always kind of cutting across everything, and Alex Berenson, and then others. How do you how do you respond to where we've gotten? I mean, do you think it was? Do you think it was? You know, uh, you know, they, they everybody did the best they can at guessing. Is it time to go back? What what's your feeling on everything?
1: I don't think it's time to go back, but eventually, obviously the 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 the, the, the need to reopen will overwhelm uh safety concerns i'm just hoping it gets put off for a little bit it seems to me that baronson uh is wrong he he was advocating you know this is overreaction we should just go about our business and take the hit and be like sweden and you know i think the evidence is that every governor that's closed down early their states are doing better than the places like new york that didn't and you can come up with all sorts of fancy arguments where well, Sweden, which is also suffering, will do better in the long run because they'll build up herd immunity, and they won't have a second wave. And but that sort of conjecture, the, 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 there's there is real safety in locking down now. And I don't quite understand why the left is suddenly pro-lockdown, and the and the right, uh, the and cultures of the world are are and Bill Bennett and, and Russia Limbo are all, all of a sudden uh, for. Opening up the economy, it seems to me if Trump wasn't president and Hillary was president, they could easily flip, uh, you yeah. know, whether the left would say, uh, well, let's put the, the working class back to work. Why are we, you know, why are we punishing the working class? So I don't think it should be a partisan issue. Uh, I think we should look and see when the curve bends. And if it bends enough, we should reopen as, as quickly as we can. But uh, there are things that have to be yeah. done before then.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. It is. A, it's another example, isn't it, uh, Mickey? We're calling Mickey Kaus, and uh, on uh, on uh, I'll put up on Twitter. I'll retweet him as at at Kaus Mickey, just to throw you off as his Twitter feed. Um, but it it is true. Another thing Trump did, where if if it were Hillary in there. A lot of the conservatives, I think, would be there'd be I think there'd be tea parties every day saying that, you know, government's out of control. They can't do this to us, I think. And uh, or it, uh, all the conservatives would be saying, hey, this is great. She's crashing the economy. She won't win reelection. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, but it, uh, once again, Trump has this ability to make strange bedfellows. We've got Trump, who all the conservatives thought was the guy that drained the swamp, listening to two career bureaucrats, you know, Burks and Fauci, who, by the way, I don't agree with I don't disagree with him l- listening to them so much. right? I mean, I, I think that, the, once again, Trump shows he actually does understand, you know, he's, he's overruling them or at least deciding what he wants to do. But it's unbelievable how often Trump does this. Now, but Mickey, I don't want to lose this time with you because we're talking with Mickey cows. One area you know so well and you observe so well is um, American policy on immigration. And there was a story in Politico today that Stephen Miller got somebody placed over at HHS. They've tightened up the refugee policy. I thought that's a good story. I'll post it. But I want to ask you broadly, every time we end up in a crisis, um the 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 folks that can make changes because they have political power usually wall street usually corporations do and we end up with bad stuff what's the bad stuff that they're going to try to do to us on the question of immigration and and, and taking american jobs what what are you what are you seeing and fearing
1: well they will never let up uh they, you know they they will argue that uh, The viability of corporations is of utmost importance, and they need cheap labor in order to survive. We already see that with this ag bill, which is being championed apparently by Mark Meadows, which is perverse, where the goal is to lower the wages of farm workers by making it cheaper to hire uh, immigrant labor. Uh, It seems insane, but that's the the first wedge of this. Um, They're also trying to empty out all detention. Uh, you know, because, uh, well, the coronavirus, we have to let everybody out. Well, why did, you know, the people are probably safer in detention. Uh, right. On the other hand, Trump has used emergency powers to shut down the border. So uh, temporarily, there's a huge victory for restrictionists. And before then, he had succeeded in ending catch and release, meaning he, he, there were so few people coming in that he could actually detain everybody who was, who was coming in illegally? You, you, we didn't have overflowing facilities, so we had to release people. So, in in general, there's a there's a natural reaction of uh, enough with these outsiders. Uh, they they brought us disease, et cetera, et cetera. That always happens uh, when something like this happens. So, I I suspect it's going to continue to be a standoff. But I'm amazed at the resilience of uh, of the pro-immigration forces. You know, if if there's a pandemic, we need more immigration. If there's no pandemic, we need more immigration. (laughs) Uh, Everything, every event becomes spun in a way that we need more immigration. The the other thing that's happening is people at the bottom are hurting just when they were succeeding. So uh, Mm. the idea that the average American worker who was just just barely starting to make it uh, after three years of Trump uh, slow, a slow, steady climb, should now be punished more by having to compete with immigrant labor is ridiculous. You know, we've put American workers on the dole. We haven't put illegals on the dole, except in California. So that means the American workers aren't going to be working, and the illegals are going to come and take all the jobs. Uh, that's a very perverse outcome. And I think we have to do something to get get the American workers back to work as soon as we can.
2: Uh, we're talking with Mickey Kaus, at Kaus Mickey on Twitter. Mickey, and I mentioned your book, The End of Equality, and, and, and I, I, I remember it because I, I told you I read that essay that I found of yours, the essay I think you wrote and then later expanded to book, and, and, and the book, had kind of, to summarize it, and I think it was, this is taken off of, probably took it off Amazon, but the book proposes that liberals make the pursuit of social equality their central explicit purpose. So after this pandemic, after this massive shift in government intervention and the economy, and we're going to see restaurants change and all i mean where are we on this idea of of social equality i mean it seems further off than ever is it
1: i don't think it's further off than ever i mean there is, has been some pulling together uh the, the, the mm-hmm. virus has struck a bunch of rich people as well as a bunch of poor people and i think there, there's a there's a tendency to think that everybody's life is equal and the, the healthcare sector it seems to me is ripe to be an institution that that Treats people equally, you know the big social equalizing institution was always the draft everybody rich and poor had to serve the draft is gone. it isn't coming back. It seems I'm hoping this is my vestigial liberal coming out that that the healthcare system can be that we everybody's sick, people are being struck down. we want to help everybody. we don't want to make vicious class decisions where rich people get better care than poor pe- poor people so
3: mm-hmm.
1: I, i'm I'm fairly hopeful on that front, you know. What troubles me, and I read a very good article uh, by, uh, I think, Curtis Mills is his name, um, about how the bailout is is going to result in just the big box stores are doing fine. The big corporations are doing fine. It's the mom-and-pop operations that are getting killed. So the landscape after this will be worse because chain restaurants will be able to come back. Local restaurants will not. So that's the worry. We're in a world of more big corporations uh, uh, and fewer uh, opportunities for the little guy.
2: Well, and, it ha- and and intuitively, I'm no economist. It has to be so, right? I mean, if you're running a uh, if you're running a in my little town, there's a, like an Irish pub that sells good food, but you know they're they're just dying, right? Everybody's buying takeout. But if they go away and they employ 30 people and they're down to four, if they go away, um, the town's still going to want to eat. And what's going to be obvious is a chain, right? That you get a uh, I don't know what along uh, one of the you know uh, steak joints or something that comes in that's a chain. I think it's obvious uh, uh, that's true. The question then becomes uh, to me. Me is uh, uh, the, the social equality part is, as you point out, we're, we're talking 22 million people on unemployment. It's going to be a long slog back, right?
1: Uh, I hope not, but I think it is. It was a long slog back last time. It took eight years. Uh, the only hope is that, you know, this sort of crisis might be different than a financial crisis, but this is turning into a financial crisis. So uh, I think it will be a long slog back. And I can't believe that Joe Biden is the man to lead us out of it. I want to know who's the power behind Joe Biden. Obviously, he's not up to calling all the shots himself. So who's yeah,
2: doing it? I, I, yeah. Well, that's actually that's a good question. I, I floated that a few a month ago. I said, just tell me. i uh, tell me who's going to be in charge if he becomes president. And then they listed them. You know, the same people under Obama and Clinton, all the same usual suspects that kind of flowed through. But all right, Mickey, I got to run at Mickey. At, at, uh, Mickey Kouse, at Kouse Mickey on Twitter, and uh also go to his uh website KausFiles dot com and sign up for his email which uh, update, which he doesn't send enough. You don't send enough, Mickey. You need to send it more because you are right enough that you should send it more. So just get somebody get somebody to send it for you i'll send it for you uh, right. but uh, we appreciate it
1: <laughs> i'm working but. on one now okay
2: good all right thanks mickey we'll talk again soon mickey calls we'll take a quick break and be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report be back ed martin and the pro america report on the answer san diego This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution,
1: and American sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly.
3: According to our U.S. Constitution and the belief of most Americans, we should be governed by we the people under the Constitution and legislation passed by our elected representatives. But this process depends on our representatives being elected in fair and honest elections. But what if we do not have honest elections? The well-respected bipartisan Pew Center has reported that more than 24 million voter registered records in the United States—that's about one in eight—are inaccurate, out-of-date or duplicates. The Pew Center also reported that nearly 2.8 million people are registered in two or more states, and about 1.8 million registered voters are actually dead. You've heard about the Chicago Democratic machine voting dead people. Well, this really does happen in many states. The National Voter Registration Act, known as the Motor Voter Law, made it easier for people to register to vote. You can easily register when you get your driver's license. However, this law also made it very difficult to remove anybody from the voting rolls unless officials have a death certificate or a written notice from the voter himself that he has moved. The problem is particularly bad in swing states, where political parties often collect inaccurate information and register everyone in sight in order to swell the voting rolls. What can we do about the possibility of vote fraud in the upcoming election? You can volunteer to be a poll watcher. Every polling place is entitled to have a poll watcher from both political parties. Unfortunately, in many precincts, they seldom have a Republican poll watcher. You can do your citizen's duty by serving as a poll watcher on Election Day, and perhaps you might be able to catch some fraudulent voting. That would be a great service to our country.
2: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And don't forget, don't forget, you can always listen to the first part of the program on Periscope, which is Twitter's uh, video app. You go to at Eagle Ed Martin there and check it out. And uh, and thank you for all your comments in there. Uh, but glad to be with you. Let me wrap up here. I mentioned in that Periscope, and for the listeners, I, I did not follow through on that, and I'm going to do it right now. If you're watching these uh, presidential press conferences as closely as I do, Although, let me be honest, I don't watch every day because I, I, I get home and they're usually in the evening and I just, I don't watch them every day, but I watch them almost every day. And I watched yesterday's closely. And, um, there was the president, um, <laughs> made a big deal out of saying how he wasn't happy that he had not received confirmations for a bunch of his nominees, uh, for different positions in, in the, um, in the government. And um, so the Senate was not back in session. He complained about this. And he then said the following thing. He said, number one, I can appoint them as recess appointments. That's my right, which is true. Uh, in other words, when the, when the Congress goes out of session and adjourns, the president can uh, do recess appointments and they're allowed to serve for a period of time. Maybe it's through until the end of the next session. And when the next session of the Senate ends, they're out of office. So, but it's not permanent. You can't kind of get around it, but it gets you, usually gets you a good bunch of time. Of course, what happened was a few years ago when the Senate realized that that, uh, uh loophole was available to the president under Obama, they never went out of session. They never officially adjourn. And so they uh, they come back in and they have like they make these motions and they're effectively not technically adjourning. I might be getting this wrong a little bit. Somebody can fact check me, but you get the point. So what the president was saying is um, uh, we need to I'll do recess appointments. But the reality on the ground is he never gets an adjournment. And then he said he does have the authority, which I guess he does, to adjourn the Senate and the House, to adjourn Congress. Never been used. It's a little known uh, power that he has. And he said, I'll do that. If you won't do these, I'll do that. If you won't do these nominations, I'll do that. And then the media went crazy and said, oh, my gosh, it's out of control. And they started covering all the facts that, you know, he's never been done and he can't do that. And and uh, can a president uh, adjourn the uh, Congress and all this stuff? And so uh, it's just another example, by the way, if you if you go to my uh, uh, organization's website, com, you'll see that I teach a webinar uh, weekly about a half an hour each week on it's called The Constitution According to President Trump. And it's about how uh, the president, this president, Trump, between his his opponents, his enemies, and also his own actions. He's taught us more about the Congress, uh, about the constitution than anybody in the history of the world. I mean, from the, have you ever heard of the emoluments clause until this president is uh, dragged into the, uh, into this uh, debate on whether he's, he's, um, you know, uh, able to have his family own businesses or whatever it is. I mean, so, but it's, um, so you can go there at phyllis and find that. out. But the media goes crazy. Here's what I wanted to tell you. Uh, What I wanted to tell you that is, is this. The president name dropped a guy named Michael Pack. Michael Pack is a very distinguished and uh, and um, respected American sort of academic uh, leader. He was the president of the Claremont Institute out in California. You may know that folks uh, there north of uh, south of L.A. and north of San Diego. Impressive place. Very impressive guy. And Michael Pack's also a documentary producer on a various a number of subjects, including one recently on Clarence Thomas. Well, two and a half years ago. He was nominated to take over the department. I think it's the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, whatever the entity in public government. There's a position as the director that requires Senate confirmation. It includes management of the uh, Voice of America radio program that's over in Europe and in the rest of the world that puts, supposed to put out American voices and a lot of times puts out liberal voices. But um, the the uh, the. Michael Pack has been held up and he had to get a lawyer. You know, when you go get nominated, you have to, he had to get a lawyer to prepare for the confirmation hearings. He told me this story and it took him forever. It took him thousands of dollars, got ready for hearings. And then he got blocked and he got blocked and he got blocked for no reason. He's, Completely qualified to head up that to take that position. He's in his I think he's in his 60s. He's accomplished. He's got academic credentials and he's being blocked. And the only reason he's being blocked is because my in my estimation, the swamp and the career bureaucrats in those places don't want to see a change agent come in. And so when the president name-checked Michael Pack, I thought, man, he knows this president is on it because that's one of the more egregious positions that's being blocked. There's no reason for that. There's no good policy reason. So I'm glad the presidents do that. You should doing that. You should know that fight is worth having. Uh, and especially, by the way, on judges, we'll talk more about that uh, tomorrow. There's more judges to be confirmed. All right. Well, thank you uh, to Todd filling in for Noah as our technical director. Thank you for listening, and we will be back right here tomorrow. It's Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report. Thanks for listening.